0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Telling Lies to Children. It's Paul Durham. What is new? What's coming up? Well, let's see. On February 28th, the paperback version of uh, the third book in the Luck Ugly series, that's the Luck Ugly's Rise of the Ragged Clover, will be released. So that'll be uh, out everywhere, uh, online, in stores. Uh, Luck Ugly's Rise of the Ragged Clover in paperback uh, on the 28th. And uh, leading up to that... um, uh, my publisher is actually doing a promotion with Amazon. Uh, so from uh, February 13th through February 27th, if you wanted to pick up a ebook of Luck Ugly's Number One, uh, that'll be available on Amazon for only one ninety nine. Um, so just for pennies, you can pick up that first book in the Luck Ugly series. Um, hopefully, hook some new readers uh, just in time for that third book coming out. So if you haven't started the Luck Ugly series yet, and you like to read your books electronically, um, keep that in mind. Uh, great way to get it at a low price. Um, On to the podcast. Today is the first of five on-location live interviews uh, I'm doing in Boston. And, and my guest today uh, is Kathy Mercier. She is a professor at Simmons College in Boston. She's also uh, the director of uh, several programs there. She currently directs the Center for the Study of Children's Literature, uh, the graduate degree programs in the Master of Arts in Children's Literature, and the Master of Fine Arts in Writing for Children. Uh, at Simmons, uh, I was really interested in uh, learning uh, more about MFA programs, talking to uh, program directors and and professors who teach in MFA programs. Um, and Kathy was a, a terrific place to start, uh, especially because uh, Simmons uh, has a has an incredibly well-regarded program. Um, she was just a fountain of great information. Uh, really enjoyed talking to her. We talked for talked for quite a while. And uh, if you are interested in, have ever considered uh, uh, studying creative writing at the master's level uh, or even the undergraduate level, uh, you might find uh, this podcast interesting to hear what uh, she has to say uh, and just talking about uh, Simmons' approach to, uh, uh, to the study of uh, children's literature, kids' literature, and in uh, writing for children. So thanks for joining me today, and you can pick it up with Kathy and me right after the intro. Thanks for joining us. Are the kids gone? Good. It's time for Telling Lies to Children with me, your host Paul Durham. This is a first-of-its-kind podcast, one hosted by a children's author, that's me again, but intended for adults who live and breathe children's literature. That's you. Whether a librarian, a media specialist, a teacher, or a parent, we all work with children every day. But sometimes it's nice to talk like adults with adults who share our love of children's books and publishing. I'll be chatting with editors at the world's biggest publishing houses, literary agents, award-winning authors, booksellers, librarians, and even young readers. Join me and my guests as we give you a candid, behind-the-scenes look at children's publishing, the business of telling lies to children. But only the best kinds of lies, of course. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Kathy, we're okay. started with the podcast. Great. After talking for like 25 minutes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so now we start. Well, I always but, I always cover the good stuff in that week, and I'm like, oh, we should record. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks for having me down. Thanks for being here. You're on sabbatical, and yet you're here talking to me. So. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and I'm here to, because we have a visiting instructor um, teaching a weekend course. Who I just met. Course. Yeah. And, you, and you just met her, yeah. And, and she she comes in once, sometimes twice a year, to do a weekend course in nonfiction. And so the grad students there. are just fifteen, I think, fifteen grad students this semester. Mm-hmm. Some of them are writers, some are, you know, librarians or teachers or critics or booksellers, and but they're all studying narrative nonfiction. Yeah. In this kind of crazy intense model where they get an hour for lunch, and, <laughs> they, and,
0: and, they, and that's where and that's where they jump in, and, and, and that's where
1: they jump in. Wow. Yep.
0: Very cool. So, So, now, you're full residency here? Is that the... the We are full
1: residency, right. Yeah, Yeah, because we run a Master of Arts program, Mm -hmm. which was first. And we've had that on our books for 40 years. And then, isn't it awful? I can't remember how long ago we started the MFA. Maybe 15 years? Maybe a little bit longer. Probably 15 years ago. (laughs) We'll say 15. yeah. Yeah. And we started the MFA largely because we had people within the writing community who came to us and said you know, y'all should do an MFA program. And I said, you know, Vermont's really good. Why would we Why would we try to do something? And they said, well, Vermont's really good at a low residency program. Right. And you are not that. And there are things that you do in the MA program and the kind of critical background that you ask students to have, the ways in which your students come from across professions, but they all have this inquiry about children's lit that they share, no matter what they're doing with it, um, and the way that your program focuses on the book, not on the reader. Uh, that's what writers need. And so there's a real place for you. And we kind of hemmed and hawed that, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And then we put together a group of, you know, five or six writers and publishers and marketing people and editorial and kind of just pumped them for some ideas and Mm -hmm. looked at what a program might look like. And the one thing we heard over and over again was keep what you like in the MA program, keep what you do well, and then add other
0: pieces for the MFA. And so it's worked. Yeah, you know, graduated some great people, doing really, I think, really interesting work. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think I'm actually, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I think I'm actually interviewing one of your grads. Oh. Uh, Mackenzie Lee? Yeah, Mackenzie's one of our alums, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Mackenzie's great. Yeah. So she's I'm really, gonna, I'm gonna catch she, I mean, she had kind of a, a sweetheart story in, in how she came to publishing and all that, but mm-hmm. that, it, she's so good. She's yeah. so, so, so good at what yeah. she does. I haven't, I
0: haven't met her yet, so we're going to get together. Oh, you'll like her. She'll, she'll be on, I think, probably the ne- one of the next episodes. Oh, good.
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah, she's, um. Yeah, McKenzie in her second year in the program, I think that would be right, um, was my TA in a freshman writing course I was teaching. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a course in children's lit. It wasn't a grad course. But occasionally I love to just work with first-year students because they think about and see the world in a completely different way. And because I'm at Simmons, they let me teach children's lit in that first year course. So it's not a course in children's lit. Mm -hmm. It was a course, what did McKenzie and I do? We looked at stories of childhood and how they shape how narratives about children actually then shape childhood. Um, so she was a great TA. And mm-hmm. then at the very, very end of the class, we made students share their research with us. They had to do research presentations. And I said to Mackenzie, okay, they had to do theirs. You have to do yours now. And so she got up and gave a reading of her work and talked about uh, the document. No, I, she changed the title of that book a couple of times, so I can't remember the title of it. You would
0: probably remember. Do you remember the title? It's Monster... something. His... Monster, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, Mackenzie, I'm sorry if you're yeah. listening. Um, so, we're, my we're, Mackenzie... We're, we're, we're going to wrap it all up and
1: Mortified, get back, yeah. <laughs> but I knew it under other titles first yeah. when I first read it, so... Um, this Monstrous Thing. That's it, yeah. Yes. Um, so, so, they heard... Different pieces of that, and we're really excited because you know I was a much older person in class, and Mackenzie was four or five years older than they were, maybe maybe more than that. But Mm -hmm. she looked four or five years older, so you could see this whole class of first year students get really really excited that that somebody so close to their own age was going to be published, and Mm -hmm. this was a
0: great story, and it was really engaging. So how how do you so when when students come into your MFA program Mm -hmm. or or your master's? I mean, I know the master's Mm -hmm. program is is somewhat different. what kind what's the what's their mindset i mean I'm sure St- maybe you can't maybe make a generalization but is is their mindset that there is everybody absolutely looking towards publication? Are they really looking forward towards the the rigorous academic exercise of of studying literature and and dissecting it and learning it and writing or um what's, what's your sense? it's both mm-hmm. and none and everything in between
1: right? yeah. so some students are coming because they really really want to write and the MFA program has four courses in writing mm-hmm. but they may not they may feel that they want to write for children but not really know what that means mm-hmm. they've been reading books as kids so they've kind of targeted this area but they haven't ever studied the stuff before so they right. know that they need that wider background before they can they can pursue their own art mm-hmm. um so i think there that that's one group i really really want to write the, that group also understands that the last two courses in the writing sequence are independent mentorships where they work one on one with editors or agents, mm-hmm. and so we see a lot of people who come and say, "I want to come to your program because I have a manuscript I want to finish. We're not the right place for them right because we're not about finishing that one manuscript. Their two mentorships have to be new work, work that they haven't worked on any place else, so they're starting. From scratch for something, which is kind of cool yeah. and really fun. So they, I mean, they might have had a seed of an idea, they might have you know sort of a, a draft in mind or a draft in kind, but they're really, really starting and taking up with something largely new. We also see lots of students who know. At, who have background in children's lit, Mm -hmm. who know that they want the critical, the depth of the critical work. Mm -hmm. um, And they also think they might want to write. They may not be sure they want to write. Some of those students know that they want to be academics. And what they want to do is to teach creative writing. So one way you move into teaching creative writing is, is through being a creative writer and through publishing. We also see a couple of MA students every now and again who know they want to go into working as agents or as editors, and they feel that it is best for them for whatever kind of shape they see their career is not spending time doing nine courses in the academic world in children's sit, but instead doing four academic courses and four writing courses so that they too can feel what it's like to be getting critiqued by somebody else so they can understand from the inside what their creative process is all about and they believe that will make them better
0: editors or agents yeah one of the things that's really interesting we talked a little bit about it before we started recording of course but we'll get to get back to the good stuff now and also um i read i think i was reading this online when i did some background research it seemed uh, the idea that you you do have a mentorship with editors and agents Mm -hmm. um it sounds like you do put some emphasis uh or at least you give the students some exposure to the practical sides of publishing oh yeah which i think is I, 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 coming from a law school background, mm-hmm. I, this is my, one of my personal mm-hmm. pet peeves when it comes to higher education that, that is, is so um, in the cloud, so hands-off, so theoretical that it mm-hmm. doesn't give you any real sense of what, what the actual world is like. Right. And, and what, what, I, what I got, at least reading and, and chatting with you a little bit, is that there's actually a real um, practical publishing world component. that's built into your curriculum.
1: right? And it's built in in a couple of different ways. Mm -hmm. One is most MFA... All all students have to take some kind of a History of Children's Life course. Um, For MFA students, we let them take the Children's Book Publishing course because it has an historical perspective, but it also has that other... What happens with the manuscript once I've written it? Right. right? How does it get from here to being a published book? And then what's the world like after that? So that very particular piece of... How a book moves through a system, through a publishing house, through an industry. What what's it like when? It, what are your obligations to the, uh, as the author when it comes out on the other end? Yeah. Um, working one on one with an editor or an agent is important to me. We, we had lots of choices, right? We could say you'll do that mentorship with a faculty member, mm-hmm. you'll do that mentorship with another author, yeah. you'll do. And, and actually, early on, we had people. Um, Natalie Babbitt was a mentor for us. Lois mm-hmm. Lowry was a mentor for us, and, and we were doing it that way. And then at some point, I realized would be much more valuable to a student to have somebody who has a reputation and is working in the publishing world to say, this is a beautifully crafted sentence mm-hmm. and nobody's ever going to read it. Yeah. Or this is an amazing story idea. I'm never going to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might... Um, I'm trying to think of not a real example. <laughs> that would <laughs> totally make, help you, me if a student uh, read yeah. But, you know, uh, here is my 800-page middle grade fantasy novel. Yeah, well, there you go. You know, that might not happen, right? It right. might not actually can you make it 400 pages and maybe we'll we'll get it down there. So trying to find yeah. that market is partly what the editorial voice brings. Mm-hmm. It brings I think the, me- the mentors that we have students work with are very committed to working to bring that one manuscript as close to publication as it possibly could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means lots of comments and exchanges around how you make it the best story, how you fully develop those characters, all of those artistic pieces. But they also are a voice of sanity that says you can do that and you're the author and the choice about that character or that plot arc or that subplot arc, that's up to you, but I'm going to tell you, it's not going to work. I'm going to tell you how it's not working. So I think that's a really important piece. Um, Lots of, I mean, you don't need an MFA to be a writer, Right. So, no, I don't do right. Exactly. I mean, most don't. Yeah. So I think there's that other piece that as, as somebody who's in the academy mm-hmm. if somebody to me, somebody who's going to spend the time and money to do this degree that says, I am a writer. I think we owe them the opportunity to take those two courses where they live as close to a writer's life.
0: As they possibly can, and that means complete immersion in this manuscript for that semester. That's so great. So, I, I mean, that's so refreshing to me to hear. Again, as somebody said, so I don't come from an MFA background. Mm-hmm. I took the back door, or the front door, yeah. whatever whatever door whatever. it is. I took a different. You door. find a door in, yeah. Right. yeah I, t- I took a different door. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, but as as I was, I was, I think, telling you before, um, the idea of of getting some sort of practical knowledge, like like you know, I had to. A lot of us who who don't go through a program like yours. Mm-hmm or maybe go through some other MFA programs, Mm -hmm. um, or who just sort of are cast to the wind, Mm -hmm. um, don't have any idea how you go about it. Um, and it really is one of those things where it's, it's, if you're lucky, you have some friends or you know, some people who've done it before, or you you have a network, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. also part of why, um, programs like yours can be so valuable is, is because you you build that network. Um, but somebody who can tell you what it's really like. Yep. Um, yeah. I I think that's so important. Well, I think there are two other pieces, and they, they seem on opposite
1: ends here. One is what you did have that I think our students don't have and we're trying to figure out how to get them. Mm-hmm. How do I negotiate a contract? When do I need yeah. an agent? You know, the business side of it, the mm-hmm. intellectual property side of it, mm-hmm. when they submit their manuscripts to me at the end of the semester, mm-hmm. I say, I want a copyright statement on here, you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to file... I mean, I know you think it's all cool and safe to just like seal that envelope and send it off, but protect yourself. Yeah. Let's think about who owns these ideas. You don't, you don't want to find... Your work out there under somebody else's name at some point. So let's, but we could be doing more of that. We are actually trying to figure out how to do more of that to give our students that kind of advice without actually then being, you know, in, immersing ourselves in that total legal.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a fun place to play in the, no. legal, the, legal, the no. legal world. But, no. but the, the, the common sense business aspects right. of it. And the entrepreneurial, aspect, the entrepreneurial aspects Absolutely. of it. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things I've, I'm doing that I really enjoy is, is I, I teach entrepreneurship for um, BFA students. Uh-huh. Um, and it's yeah. creative writers, but also just visual artists yep. and everything yep. else. Um, because it's, it's a different side of the brain. Uh-huh. And it's a skill set that, you know, anyone, who, anyone who's going to be fortunate enough, um, anyone who's brave enough to follow their passion mm-hmm. um, and, and pursue a, a career in the arts, mm-hmm. they're going to have so many hurdles they're going to have to jump yep. over. They're going to have so many, are it's parents or family members yeah. or whoever else telling them what your real job going to be. This is crazy. You can't yeah. do it. Um, that to the extent that as educators, you can arm them mm-hmm. with the with business skills Absolutely. and some legal skills, Absolutely. It, I think it puts them so far ahead yeah. of the game mm-hmm. and so far ahead of, of, of everybody else who's, who, not everybody, but so many people yeah, who right. are out there. Right. Um, and it doesn't have to be the major focus of, mm-hmm. of what they're doing, but it, it just takes a little bit of concentrated mm-hmm. effort and somebody who can... You know, not have them reading case law, right. but saying, "Look, here's Random House's boilerplate. Right. This is what they use for every imprint. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is what it's going to look like. Right. And this is the dance that your agent, if you have mm-hmm. one, and if it's Random House, you probably will. But, mm-hmm. but this is the dance you're going to do, and right. this is what's going to get struck. Right. This is what you can. And that's what I try to do when I do publishing yep. law seminars and yep. workshops. And and I think yeah. it's it's critically important. And that exi- well,
1: our students get a little bit of that. but yeah. We're really trying to find ways to give them, yeah, to give them more than that. I I just think it is important. I mean. If education is about anything, it's about working with people to give them questions to ask that they didn't ask before. And I think that's really what your course is doing. It's saying when you look at this stuff, you need to know what you're asking. You need to know what people are asking your agent. You need to know what your agent might be asking you and... You, you need to be comfortable within yes. that realm of pushing back at the right time, but also realizing at some point if you push back too much, you may not get the contract, email, which may mean you will forever be an author who's never or a writer who's never an author,
0: right? <laughs> right? right. So there's that. and, and, and that's and that's one of the challenges that I think people find when they. Um, yeah, when they go to—I don't practice law anymore—but when I do, when they go to lawyers who are their, their family real estate lawyer or mm-hmm. their their you know they're a corporate lawyer, but they don't have exposure to the publishing mm-hmm. industry. If you don't know the industry norms, yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. publishers will try to put down authors. Mm-hmm throats mm-hmm. to put it bluntly yep. Yep. um that you're going to have to swallow mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. any lawyer who doesn't know the business norms is going to say you're crazy you shouldn't sign that right. what, that provision no right but you need to you need to know what that you need to know what industry custom is yep um,
1: on a um, not one of our students but somebody who was interested in going to writing and and it had a piece purchased um came and talked to me and she said you know this is what they're saying they're going to do with my work mm-hmm. and I'm just not sure. And I said, okay, not a lawyer, not your legal advice, but it sounds to me like you're talking about a publishing model mm-hmm. that is about group editing and group writing. Mm-hmm. So it, you want your book to be published, but you're going to do that by going into a room with a whole lot of other people who are also writing. I said, that's a very different publishing model than the one that you have in mind where you're working with an editor. Yeah. Said, so you want to investigate that here. And I gave her a list of publishers who do that. So mm-hmm. here's how that works. Here's how this works. You just need to decide where you're going to be because, and she really had no, you know, that whole
0: I had no clue that that kind
1: of publishing happened. So, yeah, yeah those
0: are
1: industry, norms,
0: yeah, industry different. And um, part of the reason I, why I was really excited and appreciate you taking some time to chat with me is because I think what's really interesting, obviously, is that you have a program that is focused on um, writing for uh, children and young young adults, yeah. um, which is unusual. Yep, um, which I think gets. I don't want to make a generalization, but mm-hmm. I think I think I think some um, MFA programs sort of look down their noses a little bit. Oh, Yeah. yeah okay. So that's yeah. fair if I say oh, yeah. that. Yeah. I say it all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's not just yeah. me who thinks so, that. No, so. no. yeah. Yeah. Um, which and, and I, I think there's you know I think there's a bias against sometimes people hear that you're a, a children's author, um, and they assume that somehow they diminish you know mm-hmm. their your your abilities as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, people who do that I think have it either. Don't read really great middle grade books, <laughs> which I think are, you know, I'm biased, mm-hmm. but I think are yep. some of the best books out there yep. are books that are written in yep. the middle grade market, the, the <laughs> really well done ones. Yep, um, I think that's the best stuff that's mm-hmm. out there, and mm-hmm. I think it's timeless. And I think it, I think you can pick it up when you're when you're ten or when I you're agree. seventy and read yep. it. Um, yep. So I, you know, I think that, I think the people who are masters at at, at 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 this are the best that are out there. Um, so that is just. Mm-hmm. But I think there are programs that you know, if you went in you wouldn't be well-suited as somebody who wanted to be, to write for a middle grade or YA. Right. And you went into that. I find, I think that students yeah. might find themselves well, disappointed to be immersed in a program like that, as opposed to one like yours. Well, it's catch 22, right? Yeah.
1: So on one day, I, and, and I do believe this, that literature for children is no different than literature for adults. Mm-hmm. It should be exacting. It should tell a great story. It should have poetry of language. There's no difference there. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, we don't talk about the child in our classrooms, right? right. We are talking about what what makes this work of artwork and how does it work and mm-hmm. what are the what are the aspirations of the work? Where does it succeed? Where does it feel? On the other hand, when yeah. it comes to an MFA program yeah. and the writers I see in our program, they, I, I don't know that a generic MFA program knows how to teach writing for children because there is something different in that literature as well Mm -hmm. right and and you know and what is it i think we spend a lot of time in all of our grad courses figuring out well what is that thing because it's not a they are less than we are Mm -hmm. right there's that whole deficit model of the child that we don't buy into at all Mm -hmm. so we don't want to talk down to kids it's not that they can't handle gorgeous and beautiful language of course they can Mm -hmm. um is it as simple as they have different set of life experiences, but we also are removed from that. So how does one understand and return to those life experiences when one isn't living them and not do it in yeah. a condescending way? So I think all of that, to me, amounts to the real difference is somehow in the address. The the address that the text, maybe that's the author, maybe it's the whole book as a package, but the address that that book makes to to a reader. We don't know what the reader's going to do with it, but how it tries to reach out, and Rod McGillis, who's a critic in children's talks about the need for narrative embrace and how, how the book embraces that reader. Well, that's different if you're an adult reader than a child reader. Yeah. And so I'm not sure that your generic MFA program has that nuanced subtlety. It's different if you're a picture book reader and a YA reader. I mean, we use the word child here. Mm-hmm. We say we do a master's degree in children's literature, right? And we define the child as reader 0 to 23. Mm-hmm. It's oh, a pretty, big great, right? So, yeah. so at least in, yeah. I think in our MFA classes, we're talking a lot about, well, what, what is different? Mm-hmm. How are you? And it's not different on a vocabulary level, right? Yeah. But what is, what, is, what is it about the story that you want to tell? What is it about the character that you're shaping? What is it about the world that you're building that is of particular interest to this kind of audience at this particular time in their lives? Yeah. And I don't think that comes from a generic MFA program.
0: No, I don't think so. No. Don't good think
1: writing that. is good writing no matter what. But audiences is part of how that writing reaches
0: out. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah. And, and obviously, and then that comes into play again in the, on the commercial side of it, mm-hmm. because I mean, you can you can write you know gorgeous, beautiful books that, as an adult, I will think is the, uh, I think it's the greatest thing I've ever read, right. and it doesn't mean that that kids are necessarily going to be captured by it, mm-hmm. or that a younger reader is going to be as captured right. by it. Um, right. So I understand, you know, from, yeah. and and I get into this push and pull with yeah. editors yeah, all the time, and, and my colleagues do. It, yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and editors are in a tough position because most of them have a real appreciation for for work that's powerful and strong uh-huh. and well written mm-hmm. and, and beautiful. But then they also realize eh, I got a marketing department and a sales department mm-hmm. that has to make sure mm-hmm. that this is going to you know yep. all jive together. Yep. So there's a there is a there's yeah. there's a, a push pull there. There is push pull.
1: There is and I don't. It, I think you were talking earlier about how your work started writing for a particular audience, mm-hmm. right? And I think about Kenneth Graham. I mean, Winter the Miller started as the story he was telling to us that We hear that frequently, but there are also a whole group of people for whom this is—and this is the C.S. Lewis world, right? Mm-hmm. This is just the right form. Mm-hmm. There's something about the form of a middle grade novel yep. and how it's paced, and you know whether it's episodic on it or, or really individual chapter building, or there's something about the young adult high fantasy novel, there's something about that form that is the right shape for the story that I need to tell. Yep. Both of those have to coexist, right? The writing for a particular audience mm-hmm. and the writing through the form that then happens to find the audience. And I think, you know, MFA students are constantly critiquing each other's work, either yep. in class or outside of class. From those perspectives, yeah. um, this might be beautiful. It's never going to be read. This isn't. This is a wonderful experimental novel. I hope you had fun with it. Who is going to read that book? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I might read it because I love experimental fiction, but I'm not right. sure that that's right for a fourth grader. Right. Which doesn't mean a fourth grader couldn't
0: do it. It just means may not necessarily be interested in doing it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, am lucky because I get to talk with a lot of writers who, Mm -hmm. and, and I try to talk with writers that I admire in some way. Um, and I'm, you know, again, I'm, I've I've been fortunate to meet some that I, work I really, Mm -hmm. I really think is is terrific. And, um, you know, I think there's something to be said, and I I try to do this myself. I don't, you know, my early readers are my kids. Uh (laughs) Um, Originally, my kids are starting to age out of middle grade. Uh They're getting it, not entirely, but they're starting to Uh get there. Um. But as, you know, as I think we were talking about, I think, I really think that, that the best middle grade books aren't for kids, they're for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are the ones that move me. So, mm-hmm. so the kind of, I, I write the kind of books that I would want to read um, uh-huh. as a parent to mm-hmm. my kids. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of the books that I seek out mm-hmm. and I'm constantly sort of searching mm-hmm. for. Um, <laughs> because like a lot of parents, I've had those experiences of, you know, getting into bed and reading before bed. Yeah. And they're the books that make you just want to tear your hair out and say, oh, do we really have to yep. read this one again? Yep. And then there's the ones where you're excited to get mm-hmm. in the bed and, and actually see what happens next. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. And, I, I belong to a book group in my yeah. town. And... Um, um, one of the reasons I joined it is because I feel like I don't read enough adult books, whatever mm-hmm. that means. And I said so you know, I should I should really I should really read books, adult books. And there are some writers that I am passionate about. And of course what's happened is I now bring young adult and middle grade writers right. to right. But whatever. Why not? And last know. night I, I, you know, I crawled into bed and I pulled out the book that we're doing in my book club and I read eight pages and I said, Oh, <laughs> There's no story here. Like, there's no, literally, there's no story here. We're now eight pages into his, and it's a work of historical fiction. So, into painting the historical period and learning all the characters' names and, and getting this. But I am bored out of my mind and I don't have the patience anymore. So, I put it down and I picked up the next, you know, I picked up a middle grade novel and I said, okay, this, actually I picked up a YA novel, to tell the truth, I picked up The Passion of Dulce, um, which by Julie Berry, which Mm -hmm. I just you know, and I stayed up and read 400 pages. I I was up most of the night reading and just loved it. It, It's set at the time of the Inquisitions and it's about two girls um, who are 13 and 14 who kind of are coming at different places in in this particular period. One of the things I love about that book is we don't have a lot of young adult or um, or middle grade books with characters who are characters of faith, who mm-hmm. really have deep religious beliefs, mm-hmm. and the, one of the girls that she creates in this book is deeply, deeply faithful. Yeah,
0: that's, um, that's and it's very yeah. interesting to look at yeah. from that perspective. Yeah, that's, It's an interesting dynamic that, that yeah. yeah wouldn't have uh, would necessarily have occurred. To me, yeah. but, it's really... but it
1: was the character who, was, you know, this yeah. other book, I, I understood what was happening, but I couldn't mm-hmm. get, I just, not what I wanted to fall asleep on, yeah. but I loved
0: the characters in this other book, in right. Julie's well, it, it, you know, you mentioned so you mentioned YA. How does that? So how does that now? You know, we can get into because you, know, you always here. Old fossils like me say things like, "Oh, there was never any YA when I was a kid. It was of course like, there it, was like, you just know, <laughs> right. didn't know it. Yeah, you, but yeah, right, you didn't know <laughs> right. what it was right. right. I mean, exactly. it, you, you didn't have that. You didn't have the the conventional sort of distinctions right. that uh-huh. the publishing world makes, and, and the publishing world sort of cuts, you know, slices and dices, mm-hmm. middle grade versus YA, much more, I think, uh, black and white than it absolutely is than is it really is, absolutely. Um, but so with respect to with respect to the program here, mm-hmm. um, how do those sort of? I mean, obviously there's a there's if you take the picture book market. early readers if you take middle grade um if you take YA Mm -hmm. uh they're all there are different elements to each of those mm-hmm. I mean clear you know clearly mm-hmm. uh, it's you know certainly you know if you go from picture books to why it's it's huge but even right. even middle grade to why there there are distinctions how, how do you guys do you guys address that in your in your mm-hmm. critical study or yes is it no. just sort of not really or? Uh-huh.
1: Well, the, yes and no I mean we're not really focused on audience and on readers right. on the other hand that puts us at the mercy of those publishing decisions yeah um, mm-hmm. I would say so we have a course in the picture book Mm-hmm that really looks at the art of the picture book and yeah. starts from looking at um, students actually become artists and they have to do their own work. They, I, I would be panicked. I would run screaming from the room. Many mm-hmm. of them want to, but they get through it. Yeah. Um, so they do the artist in her studio really for the first three, four weeks of class. And they mm-hmm. do the artist in his time. So looking at art history and children's picture books, and then they do the contemporary artist yes. um, and end with a mock called a cut. Yeah. So that is in the picture book. What is this thing called a picture book? What does it look like? What are the generic conventions of it? Or again, we're not talking about who's reading it. We're talking about the book itself mm-hmm. as a self-standing work of art, yeah. but looking at that self-standing work of art means you're looking at things from board books up to Hugo Cabaret, right? So yep. that whole wide range and talking about how they compare to each other. Um, in the YA realistic fiction course, we're looking only at YA realism. So we're, mm-hmm. we're sort of killing two birds with one stone. What is this thing called YA, anyhow? Yep. What does it look like? How, yep. What is it trying to do? And then we're looking at the conventions of realistic fiction. Well, those conventions of realistic fiction obviously can go back to the picture book. And they can go back to the middle grade reader as mm-hmm. well. Yep. Every other course we have is really cutting across all of those age groups. Um, so the critical theory course, which is one I teach, might take uh, different critical approaches each week to we so we look at different critical approaches we read the scholarship in the field and then we apply that work to two to four books that week mm-hmm. and it's a whole mishmash some of it's middle grade some of it's wow. YA some of it's new adult whatever that is um, a lot of early reader books and I do think that to me the early reader is the most interesting development in the last mm-hmm. couple of years we're looking at nonfiction, we're looking at picture books and all the ways in which those those things mishmash and cross each other I mean you don't stop being middle grade at 14 or do you start being YA at 1401 right? I mean it's 12 that. right <laughs> well I say, I say kind of 14 because yeah. that's where Newberry and Caldecott up to 14 so even though we sort of have this industry standard that says middle grade is up to 12 the publishing and award standard has stretched that to 14 and that's that's a stretch and then the um prints picks up at 14 to 18 so there are all of these very you know when i think about newberry call to cut and prints those are librarians who are making those definitions right Mm -hmm. and then so publishers making a slightly different set of definitions is a really interesting area what's falling in between. Well falling in between is all that stuff that is a little bit of everything, a little bit of YA and a little bit of middle grade, and is just maybe just a good story. James Hillman, who is an archetypal psychologist, I quote this all the time, talked about um, children's literature as having the potential to restory the adult. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the ways in which adult fiction had become so experimental, so interested in form for form's sake, that it had lost the ability to tell a great story. And he yeah. saw in children's literature the ability to, to re the human spirit in the adult. And I think when I you know, kind of think about everything from picture books up to YA, that real commitment to story is what happens in middle grade. Yeah. I mean, characters are important, but Rebecca Stead's work is brilliant characters but like story is holding that sucker together and yeah. you, you can't extract it i don't i think there are great stories in ya but but they but not in the same way that story
0: is the glue that holds everything together in middle grade i thought i've often thought that um storytelling and writing are two distinct skills sure and that um you can be a great storyteller mm-hmm. you can be a great writer mm-hmm. um but i think the best Let's call them authors are mm-hmm. the ones who can blend the two mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. because it's almost like you know one without the other, it's an right. exercise. Right. Two together is to me what really makes the magic, right. it makes the art. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yes, I mean, you know, story is, is so yeah. important, and and being able to, being able to tell a story and convey mm-hmm. one that's compelling, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, you know, in some ways that's that's almost our first. At least it, I, I find in, in my market sometimes that's the first job is yeah. to make sure you convey the story. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, you want to make sure that your writing um, is equally as mm-hmm. compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it doesn't have to be, it, mm-hmm. and be to be successful in mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in in the publishing world, which yep. is not necessarily a good thing. But that's a yep. topic for topic for yeah. another day. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really you know you can tell from the nature of my questions that I I, I my head's always in commercial publishing, mm-hmm. um, which is not always fun. I like mm-hmm. to be. Locked away in my old chicken coop, writing. I yep. mean, that's where I would love yep. to be, and that's that's where I'm at my happiest. Mm-hmm. Um, but then having to, you know, having to balance that, mm-hmm. it happens all the. Having the, to do something with it. That's yep. the that's the job, and that's yep. that's that's, that, that's the gig, yeah. Um, so to speak. It so is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's um, but it's an absolute, It's for me, it's an absolute joy. Um, I give all the credit in the world to students like yours, who have discovered early on, or at least, um, made that sort of brave decision. Mm-hmm. To follow, mm-hmm. you know, to follow that path, and mm-hmm. to and to maybe take the, you know, yeah. take an unconventional route. Or well,
1: something. you know, I, I don't mean to put everything at the at the foot of Harry Potter, but I when I think about Harry Potter as a cultural phenomenon, mm-hmm. so apart from whatever literary work it does, yeah. as a cultural phenomenon, Harry Potter brought adults and children to children's books mm-hmm. and to lots of kinds of sustained narrative arcs, um, in ways that we have never seen before. And I think a lot of our students and a lot of that, I know really early on that I want to be a writer mm-hmm. is probably due cause of, to those kids having grown up with Harry Potter mm-hmm. and having seen that you can tell great stories that go on forever and ever and ever. I mean, the, I think the cultural phenomena, it, we're, we're still feeling its tentacles, um, in lots of, I think, pretty positive ways. Mm-hmm. We I also get a lot of students who, um, but, so one of the other things Harry Potter did, right, is it made it okay to read fantasy again. Yep. We were, our pendulum was swinging back to the realistic world, and Harry Potter said, no way, fantasy's okay and legit too. Yep. Um, so I see a lot of our my applicants... Will say either in an interview or in their application. I just read Graceland by Kristin Kishore. She thanks the center at the back of the book. I want to be Kristin Kishore. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to see the same with Mackenzie. Uh, Mackenzie thanked you. You know your program in the back of the book. I want to be Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. I want to be Greg McGuire. I want to be Joe Knowles. Right. So those kinds of things are, um, you know, that that writers also take the time in their acknowledgements to say this is the kind of stuff i appreciate these are the people who got me there i didn't get here alone are really changing not just the are changing the kind of student who says i want to be a writer from seeing that as a solitary piece to seeing it as kind
0: of enmeshed within a much larger community which is cool yeah it is cool yeah. and, and it's not a um it's not a solo endeavor no. it is for it is at the beginning when you're yep. when you're first trying to well although not again not if you have a community like like right. you can build here mm-hmm. um you know for for writers who are sort of you know, taking the, mm-hmm. the approach of I'm just going to lock myself away and try to write books and, and get it published. It is a pretty solitary endeavor until you get there, and then yep. you realize, oh wow, there's like a whole. This takes a whole team. Mm-hmm. There's a whole, you know, there's there's, mm-hmm. there's 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 a there's a whole group of uh, publishers and editors and agents mm-hmm. in order to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, We're getting, we
1: um, at the end of every semester, students we have an, an MFA
0: mentorship program, mm-hmm.
1: and this year the mentorship program is a pitch program. So we've invited. An editor, an agent, and a faculty member, Mm -hmm. and students have two minutes. So they've got their whole semester of work, and they have two minutes to pitch their work. Oh, that's brutal! I couldn't do that. I would would fail. And then they get feedback from the panel. Um, And I just, you know, again, I think it's an important thing for them to have to to go through. Mm -hmm. um, And it's the first time we've done it this way in mm-hmm. the past we had had students present 10 minutes reading yeah. 10 minutes to read their work which also has its value we'll probably do that for their second mentorships but i thought you know a little bit this actually happens you go into mm-hmm. an agent's office and you've got five minutes to talk about your work and they're not going to read it and they're not going to open that cover letter they want to hear about it so we're going to see how this works that's a little bit of that real life i know they're petrified happening in two I'm, weeks. I'm I know getting,
0: getting scoringly just hearing about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well kind of I am. And I'm on the panel I'm like, oh and I don't you know.
1: Yeah. So it'll be it'll
0: be interesting to see. Yeah, but is, yeah. that is a great skill. I mean yep. it, it, it's hard because it, it it's hard to, to get that elevator pitch if right. you don't have sort of the, the high concept book that you can sum up in a line or two right i mean that's really it's really challenging but But to me it's
1: it's a good exercise it's one of those places where you for two minutes you are alone you are the writer you are alone there pitching it but you're doing it within an academic community of you know who is also there to support you right so you're doing it with 10 other people so you're not out there alone um you know when i defended my dissertation at bu i remember thinking wow, I would really like to be in an educational environment where people don't talk about defense. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to be in an educational (laughs) environment where people come and talk about the work of the new scholar. Right. Like, and they engage in a big conversation. And that's what, I mean, while we're doing the pitch program, I hope ultimately it it extends that larger community of how are we talking about Bob's work? How are we talking about Susie's work? Like, now we have all heard about, you know, they've kind of come out, um, of their cocoon of writing now, and they've they've kind of started to talk to us about their work. How can we continue these conversations? Yeah you know, and the MFA program is one part of our community. I, and I think what makes um, our MFA program so interesting to me, it's also what makes the MA program is that writers, are in classes. Four of their classes are not writers-only classes, right? So four of their classes are with everybody else in the MA program. So writers are in classes with teachers and librarians and booksellers and would-be academics and everybody else you can imagine involved in this field. So that means the writer, we might be talking about, I can't think of a single title. Um, Isn't that awful? not teaching we might be talking about a monster calls because I love that in class we might be talking about a monster calls by Patrick Ness and the writer will hear what the librarian thinks about that book Mm -hmm. and the librarian will hear what the bookseller might be thinking. The yeah. bookseller is going to hear what the writer's thinking. So those cross-professional conversations around the book, I think, amplify everyone's understanding about their own stake in the ground mm-hmm. vis-a-vis that book. That it's not I'm not the only person hand-selling a book to a kid. There's a, a much wider community around there. Um, when I... You know, talk about how language, when I can hear a librarian talk about how language in, is used in that book, well, that might make me rethink how I'm using language in my book. Um, when I hear about the person who's going into marketing, talk about how to market that book, well, that might change how I think about how I get books into my kids' hands in my school library. Yeah. So all of that, I think, really enriches um, and expands that kind of professional community as well.
0: Yeah, that's really a, it, it's really that's really that's valuable to yeah. get those, those different perspectives. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, if you can get if you can get some of the some of the marketers and PR people in there, let me know. Oh because, yeah, because they're, I don't know what they're thinking. So. Yeah, well, a number of, a number of our students will go into marketing. Yeah,
1: it's so interesting. <laughs> like, how did you decide you wanted to do that? And they see it as we're advocating great books. I mean, yeah. our job is to put great books in the hands of teachers and librarians. It's like, but what about the great books that you actually? Don't shoot, but yes. you know that's ALA, and I mean I know ALA is coming up. I don't. I'm not going to Midwinter this year, but um, annual to me is always that big show. Of I go and I look and I say, what are they not selling? Yeah. What are they not why and why and yeah. and how you know what is our, the other part of our our work at the center is the advocacy work. So mm-hmm. who might we be able to advocate for and open up yeah. discussions around that is not getting all that wild and crazy yeah. attention? And
0: that's and that's great. There's there's so many. Uh, amazingly talented authors out there yep. who have broken through in the sense that they're published mm-hmm. and traditionally published yep. um, but people don't necessarily discover their work because mm-hmm. it, because either they're not getting pushed by the publisher mm-hmm. or it hasn't sort of caught on in that big way yep. but the librarians absolutely love them yep. and, um, and that's you know yep. and that's it, it, that's such a big part of it yeah. we talked just a little bit about uh, one more question for you yeah. because i know we're going to run out of uh, so you, i'm going to keep you talking all day yeah i, free I free could meet, talk to you all day too late, late, late <laughs> so for okay. your meeting she's here all she's, free here. Free she's here. Okay. <laughs> just sold my work <laughs> <laughs> well that's you know yeah. well, maybe it'll go a little long but mm-hmm. um one of the things that i think we started to again maybe before we started recording we started talking a little bit about school visits mm-hmm. and sort of um do you tackle it all in the curriculum um Obviously, you mentioned the pitch. Mm -hmm. Do you tackle at all the idea of of how particularly children's authors have to sort of present themselves? And actually, there's a performance aspect in what we do that's becoming more and more substantial and more and more important. Right. Um, is that something that you guys address at all? Do you get so, into it all? <laughs> so you you will, you will laugh at this, and anyone
1: who listens to this will laugh because it's such a typical catmarcy answer. We do it from a theoretical perspective, but we are not yet so. So um, as we study work um, mm-hmm. by Roland Barthes, who talks a lot about the author, I mean. Long that the the, the author's dead, long than the author right, mm-hmm. but who talks about the author not as an actual person, mm-hmm. but as a function and a function that comes out of the artistic project and and kind of gives us this world called scriptor, word called scriptor. Like there's the person who scripts the book, and then there's the person who performs the public role, of presenting the book and so we talk about it loosely like that in the writing classes yes um because our our two writing classes are taught by people who are out there in public and writing actively writing and are performing those roles as well in the publishing class there's a little bit could there be more absolutely um you know if i could make our program um 10 courses instead of eight and add on what i would add on would be more of those i would probably add a series of two credit um, practical courses like the entrepreneurship course really really interests me, um, and it, you know, and how you oh the need to now build build your own web pages, maintain your own web pages. I mean, all of that social kind media, of stuff. That's it, the, the social yeah. media, all of that piece. Yeah. I think it, I would build some of those courses and let yeah. students start to get some heads up on that. So, yeah,
0: yeah. I just I, I, the reason I ask is and one I'm just curious mm-hmm. too. I, I think it's um, it's so important. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of the things I think that, that kept, it catches some authors off guard mm-hmm. when they, it, and, and I'm talking specifically now, um, about the children's market, whether yep. it's picture books or middle grade in YA to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think as an adult author, you can write your books and you can do some, go do some signings at bookstores mm-hmm. and still do, you do social media and prove it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually physically going to schools and libraries yep. and, um, for lack of a better term, putting on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for kids, mm-hmm. it's almost yep. required <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, in I, order to get traction. I,
1: <laughs> right. I, and I think we have moved from a time when publishers did that, right? So the, the publisher found the school, the publisher placed the author, the publisher rehearsed the mm-hmm. author. I mean, there was a lot of publishing yeah. and we are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might need to go you might need to go through the publisher to get to an author, mm-hmm. maybe, but you could also do it through social media. But, but that has also meant this other lack of support for the publisher. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you might also be an author who doesn't particularly want to be with kids or, or you value that. And, yeah. Doesn't mean you don't have to do it, but you got to find a way to do it that is engaging and respectful. And yep. you know, I mean, I, I think we both use the word performance. The work that you do in your office writing a book, the work that you do in your head revising that book, yep. is really different than the work that you do when you walk into that classroom or you walk onto that stage to give a talk. They are very different functions or parts
0: of the same whole thing yes. called children's book author. Yeah, right. yeah, and you have to engage them, and it, it yeah. has to. be It's part of you know what might excite you about talking mm-hmm. about your process of writing the book. Mm-hmm. No, nah, it's not what you nah. want to talk about when you're with them and you're in with some ways you know we always laugh because we i
1: i'm getting ready for our summer institute and um we want people to give 45 minute talks where they reflect on their work through our theme right so we know that we would rather have most illustrators not all illustrators but most illustrators do best when they're interviewed yeah because somebody else is giving them the framework to think about that sure. and but, you know, when you think about early illustrator visits to classroom, they draw. I mean, it's an engagement that yeah. most word people are just envious of. Yeah. And, you know, you, you get the illustrator, the pen, and they're, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and they aren't talking so much about process; they're showing the process.
0: It's right there. It's, yeah, it's right there. So, they do, I, I do they get, get a little day. jealous. They have that advantage they can they, yeah. they can show up exactly. with, a bl- with a black sharpie exactly. and, a, and, a, and entertain everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I and don't, I, don't I don't mean that
1: all, that no, no illustrator right, can right, talk right. about no. their work because
0: but. lots of illustrators are great about that. But there's, I mean, yeah, I, that engagement with kids immediately they're gonna they're there with the visual. But there's you know there's it's tools and techniques, and it's, yeah. it's also I've. I, um, uh, I was able to my very first tour I went on um, my publisher sponsored it and I went out with a couple of authors who had done it before so I was mm-hmm. lucky I didn't have to the, my very first time I didn't mm-hmm. have to go mm-hmm. out cold and That's it was great. the three of us in effect who were who were mm-hmm. putting on this this show mm-hmm. um, for, for various students who are you
1: with I'm just curious
0: um, Christopher Healy who, yeah. who does uh, the Heroes Guide yeah. series um, uh, Tom Watson, uh-huh. who uh, he does uh, uh, sort of a little earlier, uh, Stick Dog, Stick Cat, uh-huh. um, which is funny. You know, he's the first one to joke that like it's, there are sort of like these very simple Stick Dog mm-hmm. and Stick Cat mm-hmm. drawings. And he likes to joke that, yeah, the publisher didn't even trust my stick drawings <laughs> enough. They had to get another illustrator to come <laughs> to in and, do, the, and, and do my stick drawings on top of what I did. <laughs> but he does, he does that sort of, when mm-hmm. he goes to um, school visits, he does yeah. Stick Dog Stick Cat. And yeah. I mean, he was yeah. the biggest hit of everybody yeah. when, when we were here okay. yeah. Um, but one of the things that, and, and I've had both of them on the podcast and we've talked mm-hmm. about this is I've, I've always, I started listening to podcasts of stand up comedians mm-hmm. and they talk about how they go and they polish their craft and mm-hmm. they go from one place to another and yep. they, they try out the jokes and they see what works. Yep. And it's, it's just a constant process of yep. engaging with the audience and, and, and sort of seeing, you know, learn, seeing who's reacting to what and is that mm-hmm. kid in the back falling asleep or do I need to do, mm-hmm. you know, in and, and testing it mm-hmm. all out. And that's really what—that's what's yeah. fascinating about it. It becomes, um, you know, I don't know how many school visits I've done now. I mean, you know, 60, 70, I, mm-hmm. I don't know, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes a, you, you test stuff out. Yep. And it gets to the point where it becomes, it really becomes yeah. like an act. Yep. Um, now, that you, it doesn't mean that it's rote. I mean, you still mm-hmm. have, right. I still get as enthusiastic as I ever have when I tell the story of, of this or that or the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I get into the books and bring the kids up. But it mm-hmm. becomes, you, you, have to, you have to come up with something you know that's going to work mm-hmm. that you can go to. And it's like practice with anything mm-hmm. else. I'm, you know, like most writers, I'm an introvert. Yep. Um. But I put on, a, I, I can on a cover show. it up pretty well. Right. Right. Um. And when I'm out there with kids, I, I have fun and I enjoy it. Uh. But if things go south, I develop the tools out of practice, not because I'm just a great on my mm-hmm. feet, but because I've, I've yep. practiced and I know how to. I can turn things around. Yep. Um. And I think that's what a lot of auth- a lot of aspiring children's authors don't know they're stepping yeah. into right um right. which doesn't mean you can't do it because if i can do it anybody can do <laughs> it and i know a <laughs> lot of people even more introverted than i am <laughs> who still manage, to, manage <laughs> to get through it and do <laughs> it um it's just people don't realize like hey, this g- is part of being an author yeah. You do yeah yeah i mean
1: i don't think it's all that different from teaching i mean yeah, when right. you teach you have to know a text so well so you rehearse that text over and over again yep. and for me it's i need to know the text so well so that i can forget my own reading of it and listen to the reading that the class yeah. is giving it right. so the more I know my material, the freer I am mm-hmm. to hear how other people are coming to the material, working with it, and then I can improv. Right, mm-hmm. then I can like bring all of those perspectives in and right. bring it back. The, um, I once went to see Avi present. And mm-hmm. I think it was because I was doing a lot of advising mm-hmm. then with schools about how to get ready for author visits. And I said, "Well, you know, I'm just going to go, and Avi's going to be here. I'm just going to go and see him." Yeah. I mean, he had you walk into the. This is at uh, was that public school, uh, middle school in Newton, I think. Mm-hmm. It was an, it was an eighth or ninth grade classroom and. You walk into the room, and it's an auditorium for about 100 kids, and they're long and lanky and limp, draped over. It's like that, that scene right out of Officer Buckle and Glory, right? They're draped over. They are disengaged. They're chit-chatty. They're, the teachers are standing in front of them, Oh, no. Yeah. Abby walks in, and he does two things. First, he has an earring mm-hmm. in his ear, right? yeah. and then he puts up on the screen a picture of a paper that he wrote in high school mm-hmm. that has red lines and I think has a great big D on yeah. the bottom, and the kids kind of just start to sit because they recognize yeah. that, right? They've seen that before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've seen that before. And then he starts talking about his son, who is a rock musician, mm-hmm. and oh, well, that's kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And then a few minutes into it, he puts up a page from a manuscript with his editor's marks, mm-hmm. and he and one of the kids and he says, "Any questions about this?" And one of the kids said. Is this your high school paper again? He said, "No, this is what I do as a writer." And he's, you know, by five minutes in, he's got them. Yeah, he's just—they are focused and they are listening and they are thinking about, you know, what it means to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And 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 also had really good questions about the, his work. But uh, you know, he did it within the first five minutes. It was amazing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's Without a polish. yeah, it's it's fun to watch people who really know what they're doing. Yep. And and um, as I, I love to watch authors who really kind of have yep. it down and yep. can do it, can do it that way. it's, it's yeah. really fun. Yeah. Um, Like I said, Kathy, I keep you going all day, but thanks thanks so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Good. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, Telling Lies to Children was brought to you by, well, nobody. Just me and my guests. One of the nice things about being completely unknown in the vast world of podcasting is that you don't have to listen to me read 10 minutes worth of ads at the beginning and end of every episode but I hope you'll check out my website, pauldurhambooks.com. There you can find out more about the Luck Ugly series, you can book a school visit, you can shop the newly opened Dead Fish Inn gift shop, or just reach out and say hello. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find links to all of my guests' websites and social media there. So until next time, I wish you happy reading, ugly luck, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. That woke you up. See you next time.